0: Welcome to another episode of Unspoken Unsung, the podcast that celebrates people you might pass on the street every day, unaware of the remarkable lives they've led or the inspiration their experience offers. Roland Warren, former president of the National Fatherhood Initiative, wrote, Love really is about choice, so only someone who has the choice to love you deeply can wound you deeply by not doing that. That wound can be incalculable in boys whose fathers abandon the family, leaving a single mother the tasks of being both sole provider and sole guide for her children in the face of her own pain. A 2011 report from the U.S. Census Bureau found that boys in father absent homes were almost four times more likely to be poor. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services states, Fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. Still other studies indicate that fatherless young men are more likely to be excluded from school, less likely to attain thinking skills and professional qualifications in adulthood, Fatherless sons are statistically more likely to engage in antisocial or criminal behavior. Others, thankfully, break the mold, defy the odds, and live exemplary lives. You're about to meet such a man. His name is Greg Nelson. Greg Nelson, welcome. Danny Danner, glad to be here. (laughs) Here we are. So, I read your book. You wrote a book called Shirts and Skins, Teaming Up for Success in Business and in Life. It's really an inspiring mix of business and philosophy as I saw it, Um, both of which I really want to explore with you today, but um, I want to set kind of a philosophical tone coming into this. So the first question that I would have for you with your permission is, Mm -hmm. how do you define success? Well, success for me wouldn't have to anything to do with money or, or, or
1: any of your major accomplishments. It's, it's uh, it corners around family and, uh, um, and, and also uh, what you've done for your community, giving back. So, I, I would, the number one thing in my life would, would, would be uh, uh, my family. I was asked once uh, by a business associate, uh, uh, hey, what's going to be your cornerstone of life? Is it going to be your philanthropy? Is it going to be uh, your building of businesses? And I said, if you screw up your family, what does the other stuff even matter? Yeah. So with me, it's about family.
0: Terrific, terrific. Do you think there's any such thing as a self-made man or woman? They use that term all the time. They but do. But
1: uh, I don't believe in that. I, and 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 I'm I my whole life has been about teamwork, and and uh, uh, and I don't think anybody can accomplish anything without a team of guys. Uh, you know, Donald Trump might say he's a self-made man, but boy, he's got a whole bunch of great people that, that helped him along the way, and I, I believe in that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there such a thing as a self-unmade man? Oh, I think you can screw things up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you can sure, certainly do that. Uh, well, you were, so you were born in Minot, North Dakota. What's the story of your early childhood?
1: Yeah, my, uh, my mom and dad uh, uh, lived there in North Dakota. And, uh, but when I was two, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh, my mom had, an, had her brother live there. And, and so, uh, um, and, and I lived there till I was nine, nine years old when uh, uh, my dad ran away with another woman, left my mother and I with, uh, uh, with my brother, Doug. And, uh, and uh, so then she came to uh, California uh, looking for a job with some friends of hers that, in Oceanside.
0: Wow, you were at an age where that had to be devastating.
1: You know, it's uh, thank God for a strong mom. She was the best, and and uh, so we moved to Carlsbad. Uh, we were the only uh, uh, gringos living li- living in the barrio because it was cheap, mm-hmm. and she worked at Hilton's Cleaners and and another retail store, and of course uh, uh, that's how I became so acquainted with the Boys Club.
0: Yeah. I recall that. We, we both grew up, I think we both probably arrived in Carlsbad roughly at the same time. But I do recall when I used to go to the, the boys club, you were a fixture there.
1: Yeah, we were there every day. My brother and I, uh, after school, we walked to the boys club and we were there till nine o'clock at night. Uh, and then we would go home and have dinner.
0: You know, in your book, you wrote about your father deserting you and your brother. And you said he was never again a factor in your life.
1: I actually only saw him three other times Uh Um, when i was a teenager he showed up uh, at the boys club uh, uh, and and uh, we we had lunch and then again later on when i was in my uh, uh, late 30s he showed up at my front door and knocked on the door and and then uh, when i was in my 40s he was dying of of uh, cancer up in spokane and i flew up there and told him i forgave him and and God bless him, and, and uh, we've had a great life, and, uh-huh. and so that was,
0: that was it. So those other two meetings must have been kinda tense.
1: Yeah, I mean, when, when you just kinda show up, um, yeah. but uh, um, it, you know, hey, it's, we were blessed, we, we, we were blessed. My mom did a great job, and, and uh, um, um, I had plenty of great mentors in my life.
0: Would you say that his abandonment of you all formed some of your values? or helped shape them?
1: Well, it, it so bec- because I didn't have a father, um, I looked to other men and, 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 and looked at how they treated their kids and, you know, all the different things that you learn. So uh, um, old Louis Chase used to take me to all the father and son things uh, with his, his two sons, Rich and Tom, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, the, and then the Boys Club mentors, uh, the staff of the Boys Club. Um, were very very important to me, particularly Doug Hall, the executive director of the club at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. What what brought about you forgiving your father? How did that happen for you? I mean, internally.
1: You know, I I I prayed about him and and mm-hmm. what I should do, and and uh, forgiveness is is just part of part of life. It, you let it go, and and uh, and you know, it was. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I, f- I flew to Spokane. I took his his kids out to a steak dinner with with my dad, and 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 uh, and and just told him I forg- forgave him. It was it was part of me just letting go too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did it look like it really was meaningful for both of you, or?
1: Oh, I think so. I think I think particularly for him. I mean, the guilt that he had to be carrying um, because he married a gal that had two boys about the same age as my brother and I. Wow. So I think he just turned off us and turned
0: on to the other. Yeah. So we've already kind of touched on it. Your mom was a truly remarkable woman. Yes, she was. So of the many lessons she taught you, um, what do you think has served you best?
1: You know, she she, she wasn't a big preacher about a lot of things, but honesty, integrity, your character, your name, Uh, um, that was all important and and uh, um, hard work Um, she was she was a stubborn Norwegian (laughs) gal and 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 uh, she and 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 I think uh, she instilled that in my brother and I and and uh, hard work
0: and be fair and honest yeah yeah so looking back at the boys club Tell me about how you got engaged in the Boys Club and what the Boys Club, how how that all evolved for you, your connection with the Boys Club.
1: Sure. Well, my my mom signed us up. I think it was about about, about fifty cents to join back then in 1959, mm-hmm. and we went every day after school and we participated in all the activities and and uh, uh, from playing pool, ping pong, basketball, obviously, which is a big part of our life, and uh, became uh, my safe haven and and. Uh, and my, also my first jobs. I, 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 when I was 11 years old, I, I, cl- I swept the wood shop at night, and I would sterilize the uh, boys' locker room with my old mop and, 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 and uh, <laughs> for I don't even know what I got paid, but that was my first job. And, and uh, I, I was always the, cl- the club kid. And, and uh, you know, I was games room boy of the year at one point and boy of the year and you know, you, all the things you do and, and that, that, uh, uh, while you're there every day.
0: That acknowledgement must have meant the world to you then.
1: You know, it was good. It was. It was also good for my mom. I mean, that was a special thing oh, for her. Yeah, she. She. Yeah. She was very proud. And. And. Uh, uh, and then later on, my first career was it was boys clubs.
0: So, how did that begin?
1: Well, it uh, after after high school, I I applied to be the uh, uh, um, athletic director at the Carlsbad Boys Club. So I ran the gymnasium. Which was which was great, playing playing hoops and working with kids and coaching teams and and, and so on. Um, I then was offered a job at San Diego Boys Clubs by Doug Hall, my former mentor, because he left Carlsbad to start the San Diego Boys Clubs. So I, I went to be, be a branch manager there, and uh, um, a very interesting part of that was that they didn't have a girls club in town, and where there's boys, there's girls, so. Uh, at Solana Beach, every night, there was 20, 30 girls hanging outside the Boys Club. Wow. So I let them in, and after a couple of years of doing this, um, I convinced the Board of Directors and Doug Hall to make our club at, in Solana Beach, the San Diego, the first ever Boys and Girls Club in the country. Terrific. Which was a, a, a big deal. Boys Clubs of America was going to kick us out because they didn't allow girls. But uh, we fought it, and and, uh, um, and then later on, when I left San Diego to come to Carlsbad to be the executive director uh, in 1977, I changed the Carlsbad Club to the Boys and Girls Club. So that was number two in the whole country. And then later on, the whole national movement ended up changing.
0: Really? So now that's universal? and Universal, Boys and Girls Club of America. That's terrific. Yeah.
1: So we were the first two, which is wow. something I'm pretty proud of, actually.
0: That's yeah. great. So. I'm thinking of some of the extraordinary people that I remember. Conti Rodriguez.
1: Conti was the best.
0: He yeah. was the best,
1: and he died of that heart attack <clears throat> uh, at, a, at only like 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oof. yeah. John Penrod was there. Carlos Ramirez. John DeWitt. Doug Hall. I mean, great group, great guys, people, people that, that really cared about kids and made it fun. So, tell me about Doug Hall. Doug Hall, who just passed away last year, um, was my mentor since I was, I think, about 14 years old, and uh, a very special father figure to me, big brother figure. Uh, he he uh, uh, had a whole long career in, in in boys and girls clubs, and and was and was the guy that changed the national movement by making San Diego the first club. He that that was a a big deal, but Doug. Uh, um, Doug, Doug also was the first guy to to, uh, to talk to me about Christianity and, and that you can't earn your way to heaven through brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> and I always remember that. that, that it was uh, uh, Doug that did that too, yeah. Oh,
0: that's good. Yeah, have never heard that one <laughs> yeah. before. Can't earn your way there. It's all by grace. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Oh, that's too good. Yeah. So seems like some more really key people entered your life. Um, Two come to mind right away: Mark Nordquist, Ken Reed. Absolutely. Tell me about these guys.
1: Well, they were my old buddies playing basketball, and and Big Mark uh, played football for the Philadelphia Eagles and a few other teams on his on his way out. Ken was an attorney, and uh, we played in the rec- basketball games. And Mark showed up one time with a piece of inner tube rubber wrapped around his knee that the trainer put on him, and and. Uh, um, and we ended up developing a little company called Donjoy uh, by, by having some wetsuit repair shop uh, make some different things and uh, uh, it was, it was uh, uh, I went out and sold the product they put the money in, named it after their wives Donna and Joy I mm-hmm. had no money because I was a social worker <laughs> and uh, I sold the first products and then later on uh, uh, i left my job january 1 1980 at the boys club boys and girls club to uh, go full-time at donjoy and uh, i ended up buying mark out for to, a thousand dollars because a liability he we, we had borrowed so much money he said i got to get out of this thing and uh, uh so ken and i we we just worked our rear end off and and uh um, we we're very 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 fortunate uh, with, that, with that company.
0: Well, it sounds like it wasn't for the faint of heart.
1: No, we lost money seven years in a row, and I was spending half my time with bankers borrowing money and half my time selling product, trying to get uh, people to to, uh, uh, to buy Donjoy.
0: Oh, very great. Yeah. Another key player, Brad Mason. How did Brad come along in, in, in the whole scheme of things? Brad Mason, who's one of the brightest guys
1: I've ever met, Walked in my boys and girls club in Solana Beach when he was 15 years old, and and asked if anybody was any good in ping pong. And um, I said, well, I can play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you could see Greg's expression right now, you'd kind of think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and
1: he and 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 I I, I beat him pretty badly, and he thought he was pretty good, <laughs> and we became friends. I think I was 19 at the time. Uh-huh. He was 15, I think. Maybe I was 20, but uh, uh, and and uh, I became his lifetime mentor, uh, um, and uh, he he uh, uh, he started our manufacturing at, at DonJoy by mm. sewing. That was his first job, and uh, uh, we bought a sewing machine and and because uh, we were having Body Glove make our products, uh, uh-huh. the wetsuit uh, company. Then Brad started sewing, but he is uh, he he followed us all the way and. And he just recently retired as CEO of Orthofix, a big company in Dallas. Uh-huh. Uh, but so Brad ran our manufacturing, did our design, uh, was, uh, you know, my, I was never the smartest guy in the room. I always had good people on my side, and, and, and uh, um, Brad was probably the brightest of all of them.
0: Hmm. Yep. So the initial design, it, it sounds like you, it was a knee brace, right? Yeah, the first, the first,
1: first brace was was, was basically like cutting out, cutting out of, the, of a wetsuit. If you cut out the knee of a wetsuit, that was that was the first basic design. And mm-hmm. and and uh, so you just
0: slide your foot through it,
1: and correct. And then we we uh, uh, by 1980 we had five products. We had a we had uh, uh, a knee, elbow, wrist, back, and ankle, and uh, uh, we called that the total support system. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, It was pretty funny.
0: You know, something that, that you hear a lot from people, or I've heard a lot, people kind of assume that when somebody is a, what, what you might say, life's been good to them, that they've achieved financial success, comfort, and all that sort of thing. A lot of times, it seems as though people kind of assume that the whole life that they've led has been easy. But you hit some bumps in the road there, didn't you? We had a bunch of bumps.
1: Uh, sure, we did. I mean, it, it, uh, Life is never easy. I mean, it, and, and, uh, and you can choose to how, when bad things happen to you, whether it's in in business or personal or whatever, you can choose to to uh, make an excuse and 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 change your 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 ways, or just attack it, put it behind you, and go forward. And I, I've always tried to have a positive attitude. I've always tried to say, okay, that we're, we're finished with that. Uh, the glass is still, you know, half full. It's not half empty. So let's move forward, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the way I always looked at things. It was, uh, um, but as a young man, young salesman, and everything, I, I listened to a lot of motivational tapes. Uh, I was not a music guy in the car. I was, I was uh, Zig Ziglar and 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 all the all the other guys out there that that uh, uh, kind of kind of get you motivated, mm-hmm. and because because you you got to figure it out yourself. Uh, no one's gonna push you forward, you gotta do it yourself.
0: Which sounds like one of the key words is commitment.
1: Certainly you have to be committed. And, and well, yeah, you, you know, I mean, I believe you have to have a plan, you gotta be committed, and then you gotta execute. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you don't execute on your plan, nothing yeah. gets done.
0: So what, what was the biggest bump you hit in the Don Joy Road?
1: Uh, cash flow and money, obviously. Um, it was, and we had to bring on a, p- a business partner uh, and, and sell a third of the company to him uh, because we can no longer borrow. When the banker tells you you're 17 to 1 upside down, that's <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, uh, you know, that, that was tough. Uh, competition, you know, uh, uh, there was 23 neoprene companies making neoprene products, which, which made us go into rigid bracing. So we had to, we had to, we had to change our direction. Uh huh. Um, and and uh, and that's a whole skill set, a whole different, a uh, 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 whole whole different deal. So, uh, but we continue to develop new products. Um, uh, you know, I was out with customers all the time, and I tried to separate ourselves from the other competition by giving a piece of our, yourself to the customer and making making their job better. And uh, you know, that's how we we uh, uh, we did it.
0: So, Brad was the designer. So he. How did he acquire the the skill set to start designing some of these other things? He
1: was is is he's just very, very, very bright. and he also had a brother Jeff Mason, who was also you put those two together and they were like five guys. They were so smart and and they could design virtually anything. And self-taught, I mean they were not educated engi- engineers they they just were uh, 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 both of them Brad, I think might have a degree from Miracosta in something, Miracosa Junior College. Uh, I got my AA in music there, which really was beneficial. Um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, Jeff, I don't even know if he ever went to college, but those two guys could design anything.
0: Well, that's what's striking right at, at this point in the, the story, is that we got the Boys Club crew, none of whom had any experience whatsoever in orthopedics, launching a company both designing ways to build a product as well as to build a business, and it worked. And it worked. And it worked. That's phenomenal. We had a great team, and plus,
1: there's a guy named Bill Bue that came into our our, our picture too because he was one the, probably the best salesman, the Pied Piper of sales. And it took me a few years to convince him, but he finally joined us too. And and uh, you you when you, when it was Brad, Bill, and myself, that was a pretty good. Uh, Team of guys, to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the and it was the it was the 80s. It was a wild, wild west of orthopedics. This new thing called arthroscopy was just starting, yeah. and 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 it was just a whole different uh, uh, mindset of can do, and and let's do it. Let's get it done.
0: So at that point in time, really, th- such things as knee replacements weren't really happening that much.
1: Well, they were happening,
0: but it was it was a tougher, a lot
1: tougher surgery. Uh, um, yeah. But it it was and, and it was a time when. Um, the older orthopedic surgeon said you got to zip you, you got to have a long you got to open it up to see it how can you fix it without seeing it and then the younger mm-hmm. guys were saying well we can see this through this new thing called a scope and a camera and we don't need an eight inch incision we, we just need three one inch incisions and and uh, I, those debates in the early 80s were were really pretty amazing
0: wow so that, that had to be pretty exciting for you, too, again, you know, coming from a, a background, education in music. Yeah, right. And then the, the story of life at the Boys Club to begin to acquire all this medical fount of knowledge.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we, 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 you know, once again, we
0: got good people on our team. It sounds like some of them were docs that were willing to work with you.
1: Uh, there was. Gary Losi, the Charger doctor. He was brand new back in the early 80s, one of my best friends. He passed away last year. Uh, and and uh, uh, he, he gave us a lot of good advice. Uh, Rob Height, Cincinnati, the Bengal team doctor. Uh, a lot of good advice. Uh, countless guys uh, that we knew that, that and we, they became friends. And, and uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's once again, you, you ask questions. How how can I help you? How can I make you better? What's easier? And, and so the that.
0: competition really. It, I don't. It, was was it you and your organization that focused more on sports medicine than the competition did?
1: No, they all. They every everyone did. E- everyone was after the same customers. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, the same thing with neoprene with our products, and then later on in rigid bracing, and then in post op bracing, and. And, and back bracing, I mean, we, you know, we, we had a full line of, of all the different products. Um, we, we, uh, we came up with the first off-the-shelf ACL brace, the four-point ACL brace, which was very important for the anterior cruciate ligament tears, mm-hmm. and uh, um, that was one thing that catapulted us ahead of the, the rest of the group. Uh, we also uh, went to the doctors, the orthopedic surgeons, and in the early in the early years of bracing, they they sent everything to the orthotist prosthetist to to put braces on, mm. and we taught the doctors, uh, showed them how they could they could do their they could their techs could put the braces on, because uh, it was off the shelf, and they could build the insurance companies and 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 profit from the bracing. So, mm. mm-hmm. um, and when you go into a doctor's office and say I can help you make more money, you they listen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. You went from being, obviously, it, it sounds, you know, to me it sounds like, especially with the body glove thing, it reminds me of the old days of surfing when the surf shops were in these small little garage things and people were shaping and glassing outside and all that sort of thing. It sounds as though you almost started at that small a level. Oh, we did. We were very small. You know, I, I mean,
1: we, uh, you know, in my book it shows, I, I think our, my sales the first month that, that uh, uh, January 1, 1980 uh, were $10,000. Um, and when I left in 95, we were doing, I don't remember what it was, eight, nine million a month. You know. mm-hmm. So, more than that, actually. Yeah.
0: But in, in one thing I read, too, was there was a really touching moment that you had. It was sounds like it, there was a day that you came home early from work, and you had been with the bankers all morning, and you came home, sounds like you were pretty discouraged and just kind of going, well, who knows and a certain lady in your life yep. really came through that day, didn't she?
1: She, and has from the day we've met. That was the luckiest day of my life, I think, is, is, is meeting Barbie. But um, yeah, it was, I, the bankers had, 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 I convinced them to lend us some money, and, and, uh, but I knew that our chances of ever paying it back were gonna be very slim. And uh, uh, so we were gonna have to bring in partners, do something, but I, I was so discouraged. I came home and I poured a big glass of scotch and, and she came home with the kids from school and she said, what are you doing here? And when I went outside and, and, and uh, I said, honey, I think we're gonna lose everything. I think, uh, um, I think it's over. I, I convinced the bankers but I, and, uh, and she put her arms around me and she said, can you afford a cardboard box? She said, I'll live in a cardboard box with you. Wow! And I thought, yeah, I'm almost sure I can do that. And uh, <laughs> thank God we never had to. Yeah.
0: So what happened?
1: I brought in. That's that's when we went out and raised some money, and I brought in a partner. Uh-huh. Yeah, we had we had to. It was. Uh, um, and he taught us a lot. Bill Cuny taught us a lot. He and and he taught us uh, the importance of the monthly P and L and and the discipline. And, and uh, it was uh, it was actually a very good move for us.
0: So when it got on track to where you could see the, the light at the end of the tunnel and that you actually would be able to pay the, yep. the creditors. Yep. The light
1: at the end of the tunnel was not an oncoming train. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, golly. How'd you meet Barbie? Well,
1: it was uh, uh, at Dooley McCluskey's. And, and, and uh, on a Monday night, Monday night football, and she she uh, walked in with uh, her sister and her friend, and, and I looked at this... Beautiful girl, and and uh, and and I went over and talked to her, and and uh, that that was the beginning. We, we went out the next week, and 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 we haven't been. It's been thirty-seven years
0: now. Oh, that's yep. wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. So she's,
1: she's the angel in my life, truly.
0: Yeah. I think that's true for most most men that really have a great life. It's not typically alone that way either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Bill Cooney. What? Tell us about Bill.
1: Yeah, Bill was. Uh, we met him th- through through a f- family friend, but I can't recall who it was. And uh, he um, he put put some money in, and, and, and we got a, we got a, a line of credit, uh, a little larger line of credit, and uh, I- and he did it the perfect time because we, we were we were launching the ACL brace, and uh, um, so sales exploded and uh um, it wasn't just a few months when we became profitable and 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 then it was all up it was, it was just a uh, a hockey stick growth from there uh till we decided to sell the company
0: yeah. so another character right around the same time bill hopwood bill hobson. hobson 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 yep
1: hired him he came in to be the cfo and and uh uh he uh he was excellent and, and uh, had both feet on the ground always and and, and we had truthful numbers, um, which which in a business you have to have truthful numbers because if you start faking yourself out you're that, that's not a not a not a good thing. Yeah. But Hobson was was our finance guy and then he also continued with us.
0: At that point, had the dream team completed itself? Was that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that I think you could say that because we had we had all parts of the business. Covered with with, I, I think very strong people.
0: So, what brought about the sale of the company?
1: Well, it it uh, the sale was was, th- uh, Ken Reed was was going to sell his shares to Bill Cuny, because Ken was uh, fin- getting finished with the business and 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 uh, uh, he was running the retail part of our business, which wasn't doing very good, and so he he was just. I think I a little frustrated. So he was gonna uh, sell the business to CUNY, which I did not want that to happen because I didn't want to uh, uh, be working for Bill CUNY by himself. Kenny was my partner and and so I went to Bill and I said, let's sell the whole thing. And, and uh, um, so in, in the September of 87, we, sw- we so finally sold to Smith and & Nephew and uh, um, for, for uh, uh, about 10 times profits at the time. And I stayed on as CEO, but Smith & Nephew was a, was a great company. They're like the Johnson & Johnson of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, but they're a, uh, a British company. I reported to Jack Blair, who's still my friend. I still play golf with him a few times a year and talk mm-hmm. to him. And uh, um, I stayed on for seven years as CEO and continued the growth of the company and basically ran it like my own
0: company. Um, uh, was it, it was publicly traded or private? Publicly traded. So did that change your philosophy of business and how you had to operate? didn 't change
1: mine they tried to change it <laughs> <laughs> they tried to change it but uh, we didn't uh, um, I, we were, we were still growing twenty five thirty percent a year uh, profits were soaring through the roof um, it was it uh, was um, it was it was it was a, it was a good time it, you know, i learned I learned to to deal with the corporate uh, uh, um, I'll say I'll say uh, uh, prejudices and, and lack of discipline. They, you know, they, they, they try to put it. They try to stymie you rather than encourage you. And and uh, um, but but I had a great report, Jack. You know, even even when we needed capital needs or whatever we what I needed, uh, uh, I spent the money and then fill out the reports later. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jack said, "You can't keep doing this." I said, "Jack, we, we don't slow me down. Don't slow me down."
0: So and, were they kind of hands off so long as the P and Ls were looking good? Pretty much.
1: Pretty much, they they uh, they had a couple of surprise audits that they'd come in and because they didn't believe these these uh, weirdos in, in California. <laughs> they were ba- they were based in Memphis, you know, and 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 they just didn't quite always believe us. But uh, uh, Jack was
0: terrific. And yeah, that's yeah, great. Terrific. That's great. So next stage you so so when it was sold did you anticipate that you would kind of hang up your 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 spurs and kind of take it easy
1: no you know i was i was only 38 years old and and i i made some pretty good money i think you know 7 8 million bucks and at 38 and and and, and i still love the business and i love the people and, and so it was not, uh, um, it, it was, I, I was still geared up. I, it's, uh, uh, and I remember looking Jack Blair and Eric Kinder, who was chairman of Smith & Nephew, I looked them in the eye and I said, you, we're, g- we're gonna make this a great purchase for you. Mm. And, and so I was committed to make that happen.
0: At the same time, w- you, there w- didn't some of the crew go over and begin another company?
1: Shortly thereafter, a couple of years later, um, uh, Brad uh, and Bill Bue, um wanted to start something else, and so we ended up meeting, and we were going to start a rehab company, and we called it Breg. because Brad and I had this already had a corporation called Breg that we were going to we were going to do some developing, but we never did, and and uh, um, so we tried to find another name other than Breg, but. Names are tough to come by, yeah. so we ended up using that corporation and, and starting Breg, and, and one by one, Brad, uh, first Jeff went and to start developing rehab products, then Brad went to, to help him, and then Bill Bew went to, to be the sales manager, and we're all partners, and then Bill Hobson left. So one by one, I hired the replacements at Donjoy. And so, brought in people uh, uh, like Cy Talbot in finance, and, and Les Cross in in, in in marketing and and sales, and, and Michael McBrayer, and and we we ended up um, Chuck Bastier in R and D, and so I replaced all of my last partners and current partners at Bragg with new guys at, at DonJoy, and we kept growing, I and mean, we these are good people, all of them were excellent people, and um, and then. Um, uh, when when uh, um and i was chair i was chairman of the board of bregg and and ceo of donjoy at the same time wow (laughs) that was an interesting time
0: so when 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 they left they came along smith and nephew were fine with that they yeah
1: i told jack all all along what was going on and and the products they were going to develop and they they had a a a a bunch of rehab devices and then they had a back stretching device which never hit the market and and uh, and but they went through most of the money pretty quickly and then after a few years they decided un- unbeknownst to me to get into bracing to compete with donjoy because that's mm-hmm. what they were good at well that was a problem and and so uh when brad told me we were driving over to a, a, a palm desert for a north american uh, arthroscopy meeting and he said greg he said we're gonna start designing braces and I know that's going to be a problem for you. And so I said, well, what, when are you going to launch it? And they said, probably sports medicine uh, uh, in July. So after the meeting, I picked up the phone. I called Jack. And I said, Jack, I got a problem. Uh, the boys, Brad and Billy and the guys, are going to start bracing. And uh, uh, I'm chairman of that company and a, and a shareholder. And uh, um, he, so he said, well, resign as chairman. Put your stock in a blind trust, and you can still be CEO of of, of, of DonJoy. And I thought about that for a while, and I thought, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. And and uh, um, so I ended up resigning from DonJoy, and uh, and hanging around with my buddies over at Breg without a. I'm still chairman of the board, but but just kind of hanging around. And that hanging around ended up turning into a, another full-time job. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, uh, I asked them, I said, guys, you want me? I mean, you know, <laughs> and so they, they got together and, and uh, they came up with it. I said, write my job description if you want me. And, and they said, uh, and they came back a couple of days later and said, ambassador to the orthopedic <laughs> community, <laughs> strategic planning, and, and can you, because you know so much about international, why don't you start our international sales? So I did that. So I stepped right in and away we went. That's great.
0: It's kind of interesting Smith and, and Nephew didn't have any non-compete? Well, we had,
1: when, we, when we sold the company, we had a three-year non-compete. Mm. And every year, they, Jack would, would send it to me and say, I want you to sign another one. And I said, why? <laughs> what do you give me for that? So I never did.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. So what happened with, with Bragg? It's got to be a good story there. Breg
1: was a rocket ship. As soon as we got into bracing, and and uh, um, it was it's what we knew, and and uh, um, so Breg ended up in just a few short short years. Took over all the competitors except for DonJoy. DonJoy was the big mar- market leader, and uh, um, we had about a twelve year run with with Breg, and uh, um, and sold it in two thousand three to Orthofix. Mm-hmm. My good fr- my good friends Charlie Federico and Gary Henley were the CEO and president of Orthofix, and and they bought they bought Bragg.
0: So when you say you use the word take o- took over, did that mean absorbing other companies into Bragg?
1: No, we just we 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 uh, there, you know by this time there was probably you know twelve rigid brace companies making braces, mm-hmm. and and uh, but uh, but because of uh, of our past experience and who we knew and etc. Um, we 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 took market share really fast. Oh,
0: that's true. Yeah, and yeah. what 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 caused you to sell? What triggered that?
1: It was just time. It was just time for I mean for an exit. We were all older now, <laughs> and and and, and uh, um, uh, you know and and we and we frankly they made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: That's great. So now were you ready to hang up the Spurs? I
1: lasted for three years. Retired. <laughs> and then what <laughs> happened? And then um, my buddy in New York, Andy Myers, uh, would call me, and, and, and we'd have long talks and pick my brain. And I said, Andy, what do you do with all this information? And, and, he, and he said, well, I'm consulting with a couple of private equity firms. I said, mm-hmm. maybe I should be doing that. He said, do you want to? I'll, I'll. So um, I said, sure. So he said, I'll call him. So he called one of the guys, and, and they flew out the next day from D.C., and two guys showed up in my home office and, and convinced me to, to uh, uh, join them in, in, uh, in buying some businesses uh, for their private equity firm. And so uh, uh, they were negotiating with a company in Dallas called Bledsoe, another brace company, Gary really? Bledsoe's <laughs> company. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so I flew to Dallas, call, called Gary Bledsoe and flew to Dallas. And said, "I'm, I'm, I'm doing some stuff uh, uh, with this private equity group. And uh, what do you think?" And he, he basically said, "Well, you've kicked my ass twice." He said, "I, I don't want to sell my shares in the company, but I, I'll have everybody else sell theirs." So we ended up buying Bledsoe.
0: Yeah. What kind of shape were they in when you took over? They were in bankruptcy. Oh,
1: perfect. Yeah, yeah they were in bankruptcy. So, uh, and so we, we. Uh, we bought, and then over the next seven years, I was chairman, CEO of, of United Orthopedic Group. And over the next seven years, we bought a uh, uh, total of 14 companies. Wow! And put them together as United Orthopedic Group.
0: Well, that had to be a very different perspective than where you'd come from.
1: Totally different. I'd never bought a company in my life. It was always built organically. Yeah.
0: So did that present some some of the major challenges in your business life? No question. And and
1: bringing the cultures together uh, without trying to change with their local culture, but, but have, having some disciplines, it, it was tough. And, and uh, uh, I had a general manager in, in Dallas that was uh, 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 running that part of the business. And, and, and uh, we had, we had, our business was put into product areas where we, where we had uh, Bledsoe and Hope. Hope was a spine company. And then we had billing companies, national contracts for, for third-party billing uh, all over the country, coast to coast and uh, had a great president, John Creer, um, it, But it, w- it was tough, it was tough. And we, 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 we struggled from time to time. And, and uh, uh, it was a, a good learning curve for me. And then um, we had some real product issues and I ended up having to uh, uh, fire the general manager in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I was either gonna have to move to Dallas to be hands-on, literally feet, feet there, or find a real good GM and my good friend, Gary Henley, was just let go at Wright Orthopedic. He was the CEO and some weird billing thing, so they let him go. I called Gary and I said, do you have any interest in helping me out in Dallas for a while? And of course he, he said, yep. And so he stepped in and worked his butt off to, to fix a bunch of the operation issues and, and, and do, it did a great job for us.
0: So how would you compare the stress level at the bumps in a road where at least it sounds as though your personal life was had you had a cushion
1: sure i mean you so. you 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 cared i mean you know always i mean you the numbers were important and 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 plus plus i had a big investment i, I was i put a lot of my money into that and that deal too so it was it was important to, to make it successful mm-hmm. and a lot of people the pri- Essex woodlands my partner had a had a big chunk of money in it and and uh, i was accountable to to my partners. So, so, um, you know, it was, it was the hardest thing I probably had to do, to be honest. Uh, uh I, I was, uh, um, going to Dallas often and, and, and on the phone often and video conferencing every day and, and handling issues. I mean, that's what you do when you, when you're tackling a problem, you, you know, you, you don't bury your head and run. You, <laughs> <laughs> you get in the ready position and attack. I mean, that's, of course you
0: got bigger temptations yeah. to bury your head. Yeah. Run.
1: <laughs> I mean, that, that's the, that's the deal. So we, we, uh, but but and then, um, it just so happened that that uh, we merged that company with our ba- our last company, Breg. and and uh, so so that's the way it sits today. Is, is United Orthopedic Group is part of Breg and and they're the second largest entity in sports medicine. In, in, uh. our, in, in Don Joyce, the first, and and slash uh, uh, UOG's number two in, in the marketplace.
0: You know, there's one other business you got into that just sounds off the wall to me. Coming from all this, there's a certain Italian restaurant that I frequent in Carlsbad, uh, which I understand you're connected with in some fashion. Gregorio's. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come about? That
1: was 15 years ago. We've had we had it now 15 years. So 15 years ago, I was retired uh, during that during that three-year stretch and it was called Spirito's and it was our favorite place. My, we'd raised our kids on that pasta and and, and we knew the, knew the staff and it was getting a little rundown. Mike Spirito wasn't gonna put any money into it at that point. I talked to Brandy and she said, he's trying to sell it. So I called a couple of buddies of mine about how do you buy a restaurant, they told me. And so I met with Mike, we worked a deal and, and I went to Brandy and, and said, Brandy, we, can you run this thing? She said, yes, and Maria runs the kitchen. And I said, I don't want to do anything. And I like to say, I do nothing and I do nothing well. <laughs> so so uh, uh, she's been running for 15 years, doing a great job. Uh, you know, for years, all, all the money meant to the Boys and Girls Club because the economy was really bad and, and pe- people could still buy pizza. So yeah. we did that. And, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. You know, with, uh, the bars like Carlsbad's Cheers Bar and, and uh, the staff there are just terrific. Yeah, they are. I, 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 I. They're they're great people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. You're still involved with the boys and girls clubs.
1: Yes. It. It. Uh, I'm. I'm not officially. Uh, I'm a lifetime board member now. They. They. They kind of put me out to pasture. as a lifetime board member. Uh, but I'm. I'm kind of the godfather. If there's any anything that needs to big decisions, we'll, we'll we'll sit around and deal with that. I'm also on the foundation board, raising money for the endowment. Which is very important to try to raise a, a lot of millions of dollars to, to support the club forever. My wife has chaired the annual gala. She, I think this is her thirty fourth or thirty fifth straight year. Wow. It's the largest uh, fundraiser of the year. They net about four hundred and fifty thousand bucks. But she's got a great group of ladies. I call them the female mafia. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, uh, they do a great job raising money for the kids. And, and I'm so proud of, of our club. I mean, we've just built a great organization, brought in Brad Holland as the CEO, um, and serving hundreds and hundreds of kids every day uh, in Carlsbad. It's just super.
0: So does that involvement keep you from getting itchy feet to get back into the corporate world?
1: I call myself unemployable now. Uh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think... Uh, uh, I actually thought I'd be on, on some boards, but there's so many boards now that, that, that have mandatory retirement of 70. Hmm. And uh, I'm turning 70 in a couple of weeks, as all my class of 67 guys are. And uh, um, so, you know, I'm probably not going to be on very many boards. I'm looking at one right now, actually.
0: So what what do you see in your future?
1: God has a plan. <laughs> God has a plan. It, it, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know uh, what that plan includes. We have seven grandkids. Um, we, we, we're just watching them grow up is, is so wonderful and uh, Barbie calls herself a, a professional grandmother and, and I spend the time I can with them too. And, and uh, We go to San Francisco. We have two grandkids up there. So my son Gregory and his wife Christina have Luca and Lola, so we try to get up there every six weeks. And uh, and we see the other ones around here as often as we can.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. But wonderful. it,
1: uh, you know, God has a plan for all of us. We just don't know what it is.
0: You know, it, it's this is the first time I've ever sat with you and just gone front to back on the life of Greg Nelson. And you know, you, you got to say it's extraordinary. I mean, a single parent mom that raises two boys, one of them starts in a boys' club, and ends up where you are now that what a life, what a life. You know, so it it occurred to me, I I grew up in the Catholic tradition, and there's a lot that you've said uh, that references faith. And so I'd like to close with a little, kind of almost a game, and I hope you don't see it as irreverent. But I remember the Beatitudes being really one of the, the things that touched me most in the studies that I did in my younger year. And I wanted to change the Beatitudes to the Gratitudes. If you were going to list your Gratitudes, what would you say?
1: Well, first, of course, um, is God and, and, and the promise of salvation. That's, if, if, you, if you believe that, um, which I do, I mean, you've got to be, that's the most important thing. And then with me, it's, it's, it's about family. My, my wonderful wife, my four kids, the seven grandkids, I mean, all the things that 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 they have given to me, the love and and, and so on, and and you know, I, I've had a, a wonderful life. I'm mean, I always say that Lou Gehrig has nothing on me. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, mm-hmm. and and uh, and I and and I am grateful, and I'm thankful, and I and I and I, and I thank the Lord every day for that. It, it's uh, you know, I'm turning 70 here, and 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 I'm, I've been healthy my whole life. Uh, God's provided for us. Um, uh, live in a great town, Carlsbad. I mean, I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. You know, I used to call it the hidden jewel. It's not hidden anymore. You know, uh, friends, friends all around the country, you know, we're able to do the things that we want to do. I mean, if you, if you can't say thank you, Lord, for all that, there's something wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times, like, if you read something like Aesop's Fables or some of the stories there, they conclude with a moral. What would the moral of the Greg Nelson story be?
1: I think enjoying your friends. Your your children grow up and they have their own. They have their own families and their jobs and everything else. So I, I just think keeping in touch with your friends, uh, uh, respecting one another. Enjoying friendships, uh, I think is, is pretty important. And and with me, I mean, I'm, one of my favorite things we get to do is play poker with the same guys we've <laughs> been playing since eighth grade. I mean, seeing it, it it's the best, you know. And, and 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 the friendships. And I talk to guys around the country almost every day, you know. And and uh, we so it's for me. It's about friendship. I think the moral of the story is you know keep close to your friends.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the life that you led and thanks for sharing your time with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Take Take care now. Greg Nelson directly answered some important questions we face at some point in life. What is success? How important are the people in our lives? What have we got to be grateful for? What values keep our lives on course? Greg's story is a reminder that we're not alone. He doesn't claim to be a self-made man. Given his early life, it's easy to see why family is so important to him. He had a terrific mother. He also credits the direction and support he got as a young member of the boys club with helping set his life's course on track. Greg's chosen path and the values that guided his journey have been immensely rewarding. For me, The most important takeaway I got from my conversation with Greg is that whether we had the same opportunities as anyone else, one of life's supreme rewards is in giving. Nothing puts us back on track quicker or more powerfully than assisting someone else. And for me, this may be Greg Nelson's highest achievement. I hope you enjoyed this and other episodes of the Unspoken Unsung podcast. You can subscribe to Unspoken Unsung on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Converse Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy Unspoken Unsung, please give us a like and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Unspoken Unsung was recorded at the Conversaire Studio in Carlsbad, California. Our recording engineer was Martin Danner. Post-production recording and mixing was done at Brother Rock Productions, also in Carlsbad, California. Ken Langan was the engineer. I'm your host, Dan Danner. Please join us again for the next episode of Unspoken Unsung.